Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. We've been in this series called The Practice of Worship, and today what I want to do is move into, like, what do we do together? What do we do together when we worship? What do we, what do we do as we come together weekly, as we come together as a body, as a community? And so far in this series, we've leaned into firstly that the object of our worship is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we talked about how we worship through the whole story of God. So the content of our worship is God's story, and God's story shapes our worship as well. But today, I want to ask this question. Today, I want to talk about our worship together. Why do we worship together? How do we worship together? What do we do together? And what are some of these elements that are so important? And maybe you've been following Christ for a very long time, and you're like, I, I know what worship is. I know what we do, and that's fine. Maybe you're just new to, you just came this morning, and you're like, why are we singing? Uh, why did we stop to pray? How come some people uh, raised their hands a little bit? Um, you know, you know how, why are people washing the window? No, that, we, we're not talking about that way. But here. And so here's the thing. We didn't make this up. We didn't make worship up. We didn't make the practice of what we do here this morning. We didn't make it up. We didn't pull it out of a hat. It didn't only happen in the last 10 or 50 years or even in the last decade. Not even only in the last millennia. In fact, Jesus gave this promise before the church even started to his early disciples, and he told them this, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be with you. There's a promise right in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be present with you. And so we have this promise right from the start from Jesus that when we gather together with each other, we're not only here for each other, But we believe that Christ is actually present with us. That Christ is present in our worship and our learning and our interaction. In fact, the writer to the the Hebrews, a a letter in the New Testament, as roughly in chapter 10, describes uh, the church meeting together and encourages the church to not stop meeting together. And one of the invitations in that text is, let's draw near to God. Because there's this belief, this promise, that when we come together in Christ's name, Jesus is actually present by his Holy Spirit. Now, when we look back into the New Testament, uh, the scriptures, the New Testament shapes what we do together. The New Testament shapes why we come together, how we come together. And they didn't even just start this from scratch. They learned it from Israel's story, and then it evolved as Jesus became central to who they were and the new covenant came into place, but the church started to come together weekly. The church started to come together weekly. We read it in the book of Acts. We read it in Paul's letters. We read it in the letter to the Hebrews. We even read it in church history. And so I was trying to find uh, some pieces in, in some church history documents, and here's one from 150 A.D., so almost 2,000 years ago already, 150 A.D., this uh, church leader called Justin Martyr, he wrote one of the early first kind of Christian books or Christian documents called the First Apology, and he writes this about what the church was doing together. You can read it on the screen, listen. He says this, On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or the country, gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. 
Then the president verbally instructs and exhorts the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise and pray. Bread and wine and water are brought. And there is a distribution to each and a participation. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. And they who are well-to-do and willing give what each thinks fit and what is collected, deposited with the president who succors the orphans or gives to the orphans and widows. And those who through the sickness or through another cause are in want and those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning among us and in a word takes care of all who are in need. This is written 120 years after the resurrection. 120 years after the church started to form. We're already 2,000 years into this. And you notice a few things. They get together on Sunday. They, they, they get together on Sunday because they weekly celebrate the resurrection day. No longer on Saturday as the Jews were practicing. Now on Sundays because Jesus rose from the grave and is now risen as Lord. So Sunday becomes central. They come from the cities and the country. They come from, you know, the plateau and they come from Rigaud and they come together and they, they, they worship together. They read scripture together. The memoirs of the apostles, some of the prophets, and they apply it. It's not only read, then it's applied to life. Uh, one of the highlights, if we look through the New Testament, we would know that Jesus becomes the climax of their reading, the climax of their story, the source of their spirituality. And they paid attention to the spiritualities of the day in contrast to how they were being influenced by Jesus. We read that they pray. There's bread and wine. We're going we're gonna to have that shared together today. And they care for anyone who is need, present or absent. It's not the fullest picture. There's other things we can you know, look through other documents. But here's this worship gathering 120 years after the resurrection. No guitars or vocals are mentioned. We don't see it in there. But they sang, we know that, because of other documents. So how does the New Testament shape what we do together? Shape our practice collective of worship? Next week, we're going to end our series talking about personal worship. Like, what does that mean every day of our lives? But today, I want to just talk about how we worship together. I want to just talk about four actions that we easily read in the New Testament about that. And the first one is that we sing, and today we sang. Now, I bet you if we like did a survey here, some of you would say, yes, I'm a singer. Some of you would say, I hate singing. Some of you would say, I would just show up for worship and leave after that. Or some would say, I'd skip worship and show up just to learn. And because there's a variety of like how we're wired, right? But we read in the New Testament that singing was part of the church coming together. Here's two little examples. Colossians 3.16, Paul tells this early, early first century church, he writes this. He says, let the message of Christ... Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And here's how. Through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here's Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So we have the, this early church that speaks and sings the story of God to each other. When they would come together, they would sing to each other. They would teach and affirm and admonish. When you're singing, when we're singing here together collectively, we're also singing to each other. We're singing the whole story of God to each other. And so they sing to each other, and then they sing, they're singing to God. 
They're responding with gratitude to God, with thankfulness to God. Sing with your heart, in, with all of your heart to the Lord. And there's a sense that some of that is structured. There's a psalm that they choose from the Old Testament scriptures. There's a hymn that we could find in a book like Philippians chapter 2 as an early church hymn. We can find hymns, structured, you know, poems or songs that were, were sung. And then there were, there were spontaneous songs that because as the Spirit led them, as the Spirit guided them, it wasn't just a scripted song, but maybe they were so overwhelmed with who God is that they just thank God for who he is. Maybe they're overwhelmed with the gospel in that moment, and part of their song is, God, I'm giving my full life to you. Sometimes even in the context of our worship, sure, we're singing words off a screen, but then maybe as we're singing that, we're overwhelmed as the Spirit is, is moving in us, and we kind of linger off and like sing our own little tune, sing our own word or phrase that, that corresponds with what the Spirit is doing. We sing gratefully, but we also sing physically, right? Now, I know we made fun of it with the video, but we sing physically. There's actually expressions in our worship with our voice and our body and our actions. One of the, one of the, 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 the physical actions, uh, we find it in the Old Testament. We, we read about it in Revelation as well where people would prostrate down on the floor. It, it wasn't just a kneeling, but it was literally like a lying down on the floor, prostrate before the Lord. That was an action then there was kneeling down, a sense of I'm coming kind of humbly before God. There's a sense of our hands being raised and our hands just in surrender. Songs and expressions put the music and words and actions and they all draw us near to God. Okay, I would love, is there a volunteer, anybody here that wouldn't mind like touching my hand in the pandemic? All right, Simon, come on. Just, yeah, just come on. We'll just kind of... So me and Simon, we're just going to pretend that we haven't seen each other for a while. And uh, we might, we might high-five each other. Is that okay? Yeah. Consent? This is... Let's go for one first and then two. Awesome. Let's go two. Oh, oh okay. Okay, sweet. Okay, you're going too far now. Wait a second. I need my hand sanitizer. No, just joking. No, that's good. That's good. That's awesome. Thanks, Simon. I love that. Um, what was so special about that? Like me and Simon could have seen each other and just did the little like manly nod could have like just whatever right we could have just known because we know each other we just just by our very look like we know we're in the room but there's something about a physical expression of our relationship now he went in for the hug I was holding off on that because I'm like what, what you know but I but I'm okay I'm good with that I told my neighbor the other day that um, I think I've decided what it's a okay, cool. And I told my neighbor the other day, I'm like, I think I'm ready for hugs again. And he just like this, he just this big bear hug. And this, this is a tangible expression of relationship, right? When I walk into my home, I might wrap my arms around my wife or high five my son or do a weird handshake with my daughter. Even my dog, I will put my hand out and my dog puts his, her wet little nose to my knuckles, right? There's this physical expression, right? Because our full self is involved in a loving family. Our full self is involved in relationship. Our full self Words, music, song, physical expression is involved in our worship because it helps us give our full attention to God, our full self to God as we bring worth to God. And even this simple high five and hug shows that I'm not just saying I'm in relationship, but I'm bringing part of myself into it. 
And so that's so important that we understand, like, why the scriptures lead us towards these expressions of singing and action. In my own moments, in my own spiritual journey, I can't tell you how often in a time of singing, we're going to talk about other worship, but in a time of singing worship, singing expressions to God, that God has, has moved me, convicted me, drawn me to him, brought me to humility, brought me to uh, a, a gratitude for him, that, that whether it's me sitting at a piano and singing with a few friends or here in our church gathering or in other moments, there's just something that takes place because we're making space for God even in our music, in our singing. But it's more than just singing. It's in our speech and it's in our words. Worship is not just when the band is up. Worship is not just when we're singing something. But when Paul writes to the Colossian church, he says about the message of Jesus that you teach and admonish each other with songs and hymns and songs. And so we teach one another. We, it disaffirms what the early church started in Acts chapter 2, where when, when the church started to grow and the Holy Spirit poured out on them, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a body of teaching, and there was a group of teachers that, that embodied that teaching, that embodied the message of Jesus, and there was the whole church that would, would, would receive that. So there was a sense that teaching was going on in their worship time. They were a gathered church, also in their teaching and their speaking and their learning. And I can find way more examples than just Justin Martyr in, in the, the, you know, the year 150 of the church reading and applying Scripture together. In fact, it happened way more than we even see it in our gatherings today, where Scripture was just read and listened to. And this is part of our worship because it honors God and it draws us near to Him. And it makes space for God to be active. A few weeks ago, Nathan Watley, part of our church community, he taught on a Sunday, and I, I sat there listening, and I, in our worship, it was worship for me because, because one, in a sense, I was worshiping alongside as Nathan was teaching, but, but the Lord worked in my heart. The Lord broke my heart. The Lord touched my heart because I'm part of the body. There's a guy in our church who told me recently that uh, when he first started coming to Westside maybe eight years ago, he was surprised when we had a guest speaker or someone from our church speak, and I was still in the, in the room. And he's like, I just grew up in churches where the pastor took, took off that weekend. Now, I mean, I should be able to take off if I ever need to, but I, I, he said, I was surprised that you were listening. And I said, well, but we're, I'm part of the same church as you. Like, we're part of the church together. I need, I need to hear and learn and worship through teaching and so a couple of weeks ago when Nathan was speaking, that pers literally, I'm not just, it personally impacted me, a reminder of like the call of the gospel in our world when he talked about the harvest. That was a, a worship moment for me, and it was through speaking. See, if, if you and I are going to have confidence in Jesus tomorrow in our workplace, tomorrow evening with family or friends, if we're going to have confidence in Jesus when we go through our culture and hang out in our city, if, if we're going to have confidence in Jesus and the gospel out in the world every day, then we need to affirm this to one another here through our songs and through our words and through our learning. And that's part of our worship. 
The other action that's part of our worship is, is serving. So singing, speaking, and serving. And you might say, wait a second, I thought like only when we literally just pay attention to God and attribute worth to him, that's worship. But no, the early church was taught that our worship gatherings and our, our times together were opportunities for us to serve each other. And unfortunately, worship has become so individualistic that it's almost about me more than God. That's not great. And then it's only about me and not others. And yet, we miss how much of the New Testament instructs us to serve one another when we gather for worship. If, if you and I come to gather weekly and a week or two or a month or three months go by and, and we have not served another individual, we have not encouraged another individual, we have not walked across the room when the Lord prompts us when we see someone, we have not stepped in to engage with the body of Christ, we're missing out on the full expression of worship. Because worship is our service as well. Our worship gathering, it's not, a, we're not, it's not a concert. It's not a lecture. We don't just come to be inspired and to, become an, and to be instructed. We come to be a body together. And so I've been encouraging us, uh, some of our teams lately is like, if, if the Lord prompts you to intercede for someone, to pray for someone, you can go up to them and do that. But even if you do it from a distance, you're serving them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14, you can read those chapters on your own, but Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit being active in the church as a body of Christ. We read it in Ephesians 4, we read it in uh, Romans 12, we read it in, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the gifts of the Spirit active in the church. And here's one verse, verse 7 in chapter 12, Paul says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He, he's teaching them how to worship. He's teaching them what it means to be a worshiping community and when the Spirit empowers us and uses us to minister to each other and what can happen and can, what happens and can happen when we gather together. And I'll let you read through the list. And it's not an exhaustive list, but we read about the gift of helps, the gift of leadership, the gift of administration, the gift of healing, the gift of, of knowledge, the gift of, of, of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the, uh, you know, the gift of serving one another. There's just a variety of gifts that are there. And it's not just on a, for a platform or for a team. Sometimes it's too easy to say, oh, Jocelyn ministered today because she was sitting, standing here behind the mic. Or Enzo ministered today because he was in the booth. Or Caitlin ministered today because she was behind a table. And they did. That's part of serving. But it's not just on a platform or on a team. In fact, it's way bigger than that. That would be so too small. It's how God wants to use us. So if the Lord, if you're here, God wants to actually use you in another person's life to serve them, to bless them, to encourage them, to pray for them, to respond to maybe something that you notice. And maybe you're going to follow up on Monday or Tuesday with a text and, a, and it's, going to, it's going to just continue to flow in terms of the Lord using you. And it's not just here. It's beyond these walls. It's not just this hour. It's beyond this time slot. God wants to use you and use us to minister to each other. And that's part of our worship. That's part of our worship. Here's what Paul says specifically about the gift of prophecy. Or He says in chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, he says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, for their comfort. 
A prophecy could be, some, uh, could be something that the Lord uses you to speak into someone's life or the church's life, but it could also be a call to someone or to us as a church back to the justice and mercy of God. Then Paul continues. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He's talking about the gift of tongues, the prayer language gift of tongues, where someone might pray in a way inspired by the Spirit that's not specifically their language that that they can worship the Lord with as as the Spirit moves them. But then he says, but look how he continues. He's like, well, that tongue can edify you. Nobody else understands. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. And he uses that word edify a lot in his writings, in his letters, and in in this letter. He uses the language of edification when the church gathers to edify each other in our singing, in our speaking, but more so in our serving. When we serve each other, when you serve someone, you edify them, you lift them up, you encourage them, you, you strengthen them. And it happens through all the gifts of the Spirit. But you know what happens that when, we, when we do this, when you do this, you participate in divine activity. You're actually participating in the activity of the Holy Spirit that's already going on, that who is already at work in us, among us, and through us, when we use our gifts, and when we exercise our gifts, it's worship. It's part of what it means to worship together. I can tell you that there's been moments when the Lord has used my gifts, whether it's to encourage someone. There's been moments in in my speaking, that's one maybe gift that I humbly kind of just present to the church, but like there's been moments in my speaking where I would, I would walk away and say, I, there was something, the Lord actually carried me through that. The Lord was actually working in the middle of that. You, could, you would have to be the judge of that. <laughs> but there's moments where I realized that wasn't me. Well, it was me, but the Lord was active underneath that. And whether we're serving with a skill or a gift or uh, some talent we have or whether we lean in to pray for someone or encourage someone, the Lord actually is, is lifting you through that, lift, is, is, is there underneath all that. And so edification and worship, this one writer says, are two sides of the same coin. Our worship in singing might be vertical, but our worship in service is horizontal. It affects the whole body. Now, I want to highlight one more element, and we're actually going to practice it today, and it's the, it's the element of sitting we worship in our sitting. You're like, what? I'm sitting now. Am I worshiping? Well, uh, let me, let me, I wanted to use another S word, sorry. <laughs> what I mean is when we sit around the table, when we talk about the bread and the wine, when we talk about the meal that the church participated in for centuries, it's the table where what we traditionally call the Eucharist. Eucharist, just, the word just means gratitude, thankfulness. This meal of, of gratitude for the work of the cross and the work of Jesus. This idea that we participate in this thing we call communion. As we take the bread and wine, there's a communion we have with the Lord. Some of us call it the Lord's Supper. Jesus asked us when we come together to break bread and to pour wine. These days in COVID, you know, everyone got you know, a cellophane wrap with bread and a drop of juice in the middle of it, but one day we'll be, you know, we won't need to use these again. But for now we are. But Jesus asked us when we gather to break bread and to pour wine to remember the rescuing power of the cross and the power of the resurrection 
In Acts chapter 2, they didn't only devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer and to fellowship, and they devoted themselves to breaking bread together when they gathered. 1 Corinthians 11, just before Paul talks about all the gifts of the Spirit, one of the ways he instructs the church in worship is when they break bread. When they break bread and pour wine and come around this meal. One of my favorite, most impacting scriptures that, that just shapes what happens in communion is Luke chapter 24. The church hasn't even started yet, but Jesus is resurrected and he's, he's on a walk with these two people on way back to their home in their town called Emmaus, and they're talking. They don't recognize who Jesus is. They're, they're, they don't recognize in that moment who he is, who's speaking to them, and they eventually invite Jesus into their home, and as Jesus sits around the table, as he sits around the table, we have this Eucharist language. He takes the bread, he breaks it, he gives thanks, they pray, and something amazing, something actually supernatural happens. Luke tells us that in that moment, when they break bread, when they're around the table, they recognized who Jesus was. It's like, it's, Luke says immediately, it's like their eyes were open. They're like, oh my gosh, this is you. And it, and it says that, that they remembered now that as he was speaking to them and talking to them, something was burning in their hearts. I love that passage because it helps us understand that when they sit and break bread together, something opens up in that moment. They recognize who Jesus is. They literally begin to have communion with Jesus. And they see him for who he really is. And so when you and I, you know, some people say, I'm going to go worship, meaning like I'm going to go sing. But part of our worship is, is the bread and wine. When we come and we sit around the table, and we prioritize this at least monthly, and we're prioritizing it today because Jesus asked us to, because the New Testament instructs us to do this, because uh, the church has practiced it for centuries, because it actually tells us part of God's story, like it's part of the whole story of God. But here's a, here's a beautiful piece. This is also what happens when we break bread and pour wine. We're drawn near to God through it. We're drawn near to God through it. We make room. When we, when we sit around the table, when we take these elements, we make room for God when we sit at the table. We're basically, we're saying to the Lord, welcome, Father. Welcome, Jesus. Welcome, Holy Spirit. When we sit around the table, we're welcoming the presence of Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus reveals himself to us. I'm going to invite the team to come up as we slowly move into this part of our gathering, but there's been times where I've sat around the table, either literally or metaphorically, because we're not all around a table today, but where in the moment of taking bread, in the moment of, of pouring and, and drinking wine, in the moment of this, this celebrating this, we experience God's presence right in the middle of that where something tangible happens where where the presence of Jesus is made manifest to us right in that moment and so here's here's what I want to encourage us with you know sometimes we see worship as one of these elements and I would say no 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 it's all of these elements it's our singing and our speaking and our serving and our sitting all of it is worship. All of it gives worth to God. 
all of it points to God. All of it invites us into God's story. All of it helps us make space for the presence of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever, don't ever let someone make you believe that you make God's presence work. You, don't, you and me don't make God's presence work. We don't turn God's presence on like a, like a light switch. But what we do do is we make space for God's presence that's already active to work in us. We make space for communion with God. We make space in that moment. It's just like when you go over to someone's house, if you can, you can, be, you can kind of sit across the room and not do anything. Like you're both present in the room. But when, if you walk across the room, when you ask a question, when you go over and offer something, when you go over and maybe in a humble way uh, set up a moment, what you're doing is you're both in the room. There's no doubt about it. But now you've made space for the relationship. Now you've made space for the conversation. Now you've made space for something to happen. And so when we sing and when we speak and when we serve and when we sit at the table, we're not turning on God's presence. We're making space for God's presence. We're making space for communion between us and God all together. And so worship is not limited to one of those things. It's all of those things. It's, it's reminder and response. Right? We, we sing and tell each other the story. It's a reminder. But it's also a response. We're responding in gratitude to God. We're responding in gratitude to God. You guys can start with this next song as we, we move into it. Because I want us to practice worship together. We're going to practice it through song in this moment and then move to the sitting and the table. But here, here, here's, here's the last thing I'll say. This is our practice of worship together. You and I, we're participants we're participants in this. We're contributors to this. And here's the beautiful thing. We're also receivers of this. We receive God's presence. What we do here, what we do together, why we gather weekly, why we come together to sing and to speak and to serve and to sit, to, to all these elements together is of such vital importance. It's what we bring to God and it's what we then receive from Him as we make space for His presence it's already here, but we make space for it. And we bring him honor and we bring our full selves, our full attention to him. God, we come humbly before you. You are God, you are king. You are Lord of all things. We believe in you, Father, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in you, Jesus, son Lord, Redeemer, Rescuer, King enthroned. Amen. We believe in you, Holy Spirit. The one who unites the church points us back to Jesus and the whole story. And we look forward a new creation the amazing hope of God's story we worship you God I pray as a church community we would relish and cherish open our eyes oh God to see 
the way that our singing and our speaking and our serving and our sitting around the table makes space for your presence. Oh God, and may each of those actions, Lord, be actions of worship that give worth to you, God. May our words and our songs and our ministry and our breaking of bread, oh God, we bring it all, give it all to you, Lord, as an expression of worship. Oh God, grow us into a worshiping community, into a worshiping community here and beyond these walls, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.